Welcome to TALC, Teaching and Learning Consultation Skills. This is the TALC Talks podcast, helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills, to get better outcomes, and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction. The specific chapter referred to here is called Can Reading Between the Lines Make for a More Accurate Diagnosis? We can learn so much from listening attentively to what patients say and remembering it. We can also learn a lot when we listen attentively to things patients only half say, things they hesitate to pursue, and from contextual and emotional information conveyed in words, in hesitations and in throwaway remarks, things which are actually not fully expressed. These are often termed cues, meaning there are hints that there is more to be said. In a play, a cue is the prompt that tells the actor that they should say their next lines. But in a consultation, we do not respond to cues like an actor by saying the lines we've already learned. Instead, we need to respond specifically to what the patient has said or hinted at so that the patient knows we've noticed, so that we can follow up relevant lines of inquiry. I think it's often more helpful to think of these hints as clues rather than cues, signalling that there is more to be said and that the full picture has not been revealed so far. While this is akin to reading between the lines, when consulting with a patient, it's usually better to follow up a clue with some further inquiries rather than just guessing at what the patient might mean. This can lead to inaccurate ideas. When patients talk, they convey vast amounts of information and many clues. So how is the clinician to respond to this whole set of complex clues? I'm going to read you an example of something a patient might say together with a bit of description of the patient with some thoughts about the clues as well as we go along. The patient is neatly and cleanly dressed with an elaborate hairstyle and shiny shoes. Now this contextual clues says that they're probably looking after themselves pretty well, at least in some respects. Their speech is rather fast and they sit upright, clutching a bag very tightly on their lap. Perhaps this indicates a degree of anxiety. The patient says, I'm not sleeping. There's a clue. Not sleeping is often a sign of distress or depression. Since all this started, clue. Since what started? And now it's affecting me at work. Another clue. What is it? What work? And how is work being affected? Because I'm so tired, I'm irritable with everyone clue who is everyone and I'm wondering if you could write me a letter for the housing another clue it's something to do with their home perhaps some kind of action is also seeming to be expected from the clinician so that the housing can get me a move away from my horrible neighbor clue what kind of horrible is worry about the neighbor disturbing sleep or is it something else the patient only says about 50 words in that particular example, but there are at least eight verbal and non-verbal clues slash cues. Is the clinician supposed to pick up every one of those? Won't that approach end up taking ages? Perhaps it's better to ignore all the cues and stick with writing a letter to the housing. Research studies of consultations do show that many clues are ignored by clinicians who show low levels of awareness of clues and are particularly unaware of those which concern the need for emotional understanding and support. But if we don't understand the patient's problem more, we cannot be sure that a letter to the housing is the best plan. Equally, picking up on every single clue does seem a tad clunky. 
It has been shown that clues can be addressed without lengthening consultation times. For example, early expressions of empathy and understanding can even shorten some consultations. In one research study, when clinicians reacted proactively to a list of questions brought by oncology patients, and a list is one kind of clue or cue, this actually made consultations shorter. There's a useful section on this whole set of information in the chapter on information gathering in skills for communicating with patients. So if we're going to deal with cues and clues, we need a strategy. A simple instruction to say pick up cues isn't really helpful, is it? And might not be enough. Now there are different ways to pick up on the important but incomplete information coming from the patient in the form of cues or clues. And these three approaches are these. You can pick up the cue, You can park the clue mentally and then come back to it later, or you can simply put the clue into the whole picture. In the example that I gave you already in this podcast, that might mean picking up the clue about the neighbour using the active listening skill of reflecting back and saying, you mentioned your horrible neighbour? Some clues might be parked for later and come back to them using active listening skills again, but paraphrasing this time. You mentioned being affected at home and at work. Can you tell me more about that? Sometimes it's quite enough to put the clues into the whole picture using a summarising skill. Overall, this difficult situation is having a really big impact on your well-being. Learning which clues to pick up, which to park, and which to put in the whole picture is not easy, actually. Sifting through what a patient is saying means listening very attentively, remembering and interpreting what is being said, and only then deciding how to respond. See the other chapters on simple steps to powerful listening in the Skills for Effective Information Gathering module. There are, however, huge rewards for the effective use of clues and cues. Attention to clues can help the clinician focus in on what's really happening and can help clinicians to avoid missing important pieces of information, information that the patient might be hesitant to disclose. And responding to clues is a crucial part of building an effective, trusting relationship. If you don't have that, it's very hard to get an effective management plan. Quite often, important clinical information is discovered when clues are followed up. Responding to cues about emotional issues with appropriate understanding and empathy actually tends to shorten consultation overall. If patients' clues are not picked up, they tend to repeat themselves over and over again until the underlying feelings are acknowledged. Repetition wastes time in consultations. So how can we practice picking up clues and cues. Have you first begun to reflect on any examples of where you have picked up a clue and found it useful? Do you have any worries or concerns about picking up too many clues? Will the consultation become too long or too complicated? The educator working with the clinician can use this kind of discussion to pick up any clues from the clinician or learner. They can actually demonstrate the usefulness of picking up clues in this kind of way. Some inexperienced clinicians feel that Picking up clues could be like opening a can of worms that will take ages to deal with. And this concern is understandable, especially if your skills in handling distress are not yet fully developed. Clinicians can plan to work on that aspect of their skills as well. Use the module Talc Skills for Building Effective Relationships and the Talc module Complex Skills for More Tricky Situations. There are two aspects of the skills of attending to clues which you need to learn about. Firstly, how to identify cues and clues in the first place, and secondly, how to respond to them. 
Again, it can be helpful to start with a video and really simply notice any clues or cues in the consultation, forgetting about the clinical content for now. The educator could begin by stopping the video as soon as the patient has sat down and said hello, or in a telephone consultation as soon as the patient has introduced themselves and made their opening statement. Reflect on what clues are already present. There'll always be some demographic information about where the patient lives, their age and so on, some non-verbal information including posture, tone of voice and address. Calling from a landline rather than a mobile can be a subtle clue that may be put in the whole picture for later on. Continue to watch or listen to the call in sections and stop the recording every time you notice a clue or a cue. Your educator can also stop the video if they notice clues. The yield of information can be astonishing. A clinician has remarked that this feels like seeing a patient in 3D rather than 2D. The other way of practising picking up a cue is to just read a transcription of something that the patient says and then make a note on there of things that you notice. Here's an example. You telephone a patient on a landline and the address is on one of the poorer areas of the practice in a small terraced house. You happen to have done a visit there a few weeks ago and noticed that it's rather run down and not very well decorated. Mrs T who lives there is aged 85 and no one else is living at the address. You can see that from the computer system. She last saw the doctor a year ago though for a travel vaccination before visiting her daughter who lives in Thailand. She speaks in a wavering voice and says, Is that the doctor at last? I had such trouble getting through. Will you come and see me? I can't get out in this cold, wet weather. I'm scared of falling over now. My legs won't carry me properly. I had to go back to bed because my leg is so sore and red. That's about 50 words. And there's a lot of information conveyed there, including a lot of non-verbal communication. So see if you can write down all the clues and cues that are in there. See if you decide which ones you would pick up, which ones you might park, or which ones you'd put in the whole clinical picture. Another way to practice this is to do a skills rehearsal. Now, this is not a role play because the people in the skills rehearsal are going to be themselves and talk about an issue that concerns them. So divide into listeners, speakers and observers in a group or just listeners and speakers if you're working one to one. The listener will open the conversation by saying something like, tell me about a difficult problem you want to talk about. This could be a personal problem or it could even be a difficult consultation that they've recently experienced. The speaker's task is to talk about what is currently bothering them, anything that they're willing to discuss either with their trainer or in a small group. Have a conversation and the observer can watch out for clues and cues. If the observer has a suitable checklist and there's one in the written resources that go with this chapter, they can use that to help them. If you observe a clue as an observer or as a listener, make a little note in the relevant column and put a tick if you think a clue was missed. Putting a word or two down to remind you will also help. After the conversation, think about which clues were noted by the listener and did the observer pick up any clues that the listener missed? Do they agree about what was a clue? It's worthwhile in a group repeating the exercise so that every person gets to be speaker, listener and observer. Think about the clues and how they were picked up. How did the listener respond? What did they do with that clue? Ask the speaker to comment on what it felt like when a clue was noted and acted upon. 
and asked the speaker to comment on actions from the listener that told them that the listener had indeed picked up on the important clues. Making some notes is a useful way of reinforcing this learning. Those who are creating educational opportunities like this might also want to see the TALC module called Effective Methods for Teaching Consultation Skills should we jump in at the deep end to refine their experiential teaching and learning skills. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all.